Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so that we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, searching the Scriptures to see whether these things are so. We're not on an I'm right quest, we're on a truth quest to find out what the truth is. We don't want to believe a lie, we want to believe the truth. We know that lies come from the enemy. The truth comes from God and His Word. So we want to be committed to knowing what the truth is and seeking God, even though we might have been taught some things that are a little bit different. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us today from Facebook, from YouTube. Also, if you're listening to this on the podcast, we want to welcome you as well. Hope that you are greatly blessed by the time that we are able to spend here today. I got a new computer going here today, so um, I'm going to go ahead and fire up the first question that is from an older uh, Q&A. Uh, I don't see anybody coming on. Ah, there we go. People coming on now. Good. Good to see you guys. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and fire things up here now. Um, who is the restrainer of 2 Thessalonians 2.6? Again, this is a question that was asked quite a while back, and uh, I just covered this last uh, Wednesday night. Uh, this section of scripture where we find the restrainer being taken away and then the man of sin being revealed. We also know there's a great departure or a great falling away or a great rebellion, depending on the uh, the Bible that you have, uh, earlier in this chapter or depending on the translation you've got earlier in this chapter. And then the man of sin is revealed after that as well. So when it talks about the restrainer, it talks about he. And I believe the restrainer is the Holy Spirit in the church restraining what's happening in the world. If the church were not here, we are light and we are salt. Salt stops corruption. And you've probably had some kind of an experience along those lines where because you're there, something changes. They say, don't do that while they're here. Or, Did you know that they're a Christian? Or sorry that I said that. And because of that, uh, you are restraining. And we restrain a lot. I believe that, that we are the ones in the world who are restraining. Uh, the enemy would love to come in and tear people's lives apart, uh, but we are making a radical difference in those lives. So it's good to see you guys. Good to see you on here, Daniel. If you have a question for us, then write the word question, then reread your question a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. Uh, we'll take time to answer your questions. Our, our desire, again, is to know what the Word of God says about what we believe. And uh, we have a question, first off, from Andre. So Andre says, um, does, the confirmed, uh, does confirmed to us by those who heard him statement in Hebrews 2.3 eliminate the Apostle Paul from being the author of of Hebrews. All right, let me go ahead and take a look at that. So, um, yeah, I know when I was teaching Hebrews the last time, which wasn't that long ago, that I came across a certain passage which made me go, huh, I'm not, I think that might really prohibit Paul from being the author here. And then when I went back to find it later on, I didn't make any notes. I usually make some notes on my phone and I didn't make any notes about it. And so um, I had trouble going back to find it. So we're talking about Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, verse 3, I'd like to go ahead and put the scriptures up on the screen for you and then go ahead and start in verse 1. Therefore, must give the more, um, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received its just reward, so it's talking about the law there, I'm talking about God. The, the law being given by angels and right and then um, receiving its just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those of him, by those who heard him? Um, so yeah, this may be this may be what I had found. Um, so Paul, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is talking about the resurrection and Jesus revealing himself to the apostles, to Peter first and then to the apostles, then he says, and to me as one born out of time. 
And so we know that Jesus appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road when he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We also know when he was in Corinth that the Lord stood by him and told him to stay there. And we're told what the Lord said to him. So if we could eliminate any of those times that God spoke to Paul or eliminate any other times that would tell us that, let's take a look at this again, so we kind of qualify this. How shall we escape um, if we neglect such a great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? So could Paul be saying it was confirmed to us by those who heard him, confirmed to us who are preaching the gospel by those who heard him, and maybe it wasn't Paul that actually heard him. I'm not sure that, I don't, I don't think, um, Andre, that this verse disqualify, disqualifies Paul from being the author of Hebrews. So we're never told who the author is. It is not written in a Paulinian style. Um, some believe that Paul did write it, but he wrote it in Hebrews because he's writing to the Hebrews. And since he was a Pharisee, he would know Hebrew. And he wrote this letter in the Hebrew. And that's why the typical Paulinian style that we find in other places, we don't find in the book of Hebrews. Maybe. Maybe it was Apollos. Maybe it was Priscilla and Aquila. Um, you know, maybe it was Barnabas. There are several other suggestions, but we just don't know who it is. And um, I, I want to take time to read slowly again through the book of Hebrews and see if I can find that particular statement. I don't know that, I don't think that this was it um, because it, it looks like just the way it reads, uh, maybe we do a, a little bit more study on it and look at it in different translations, but was confirmed to us by those who heard him, was Paul saying I we, that I heard him preaching the gospel um, or giving the gospel first firsthand, or is he saying that those who first heard him confirmed it to him and others to us by those who first heard him. Uh, I'm not sure that this could be used as a proof text that would eliminate Paul from being the author of Hebrews. I've gone back and forth, by the way. It's funny. I, I first of all say, no, it's got to be Paul. Uh, some of the topics are so close to Romans, especially Romans, um, but some other, First uh, Corinthians as well, just some of the, the things that you find in here are so close to it. But the Holy Spirit is also in common, and so the Holy Spirit may be bringing up the same topics, and that's why it's so close. So uh, I don't think that that can eliminate Paul, but I appreciate uh, your question on that, Andre. If you find another one, or if any of you other guys, as you're reading the book of Hebrews, comes across something that may eliminate Paul from being the author, then I would love to hear that. So what I read was, I read something that I said, if Paul was the author, I don't think he would have said it that way. And then I didn't make a note about it. So I need to just be diligent and go back and look it up. But thank you very much, Andre, for your question. I really appreciate that. We have a question here from Psychman45. Good to see you, Psychman. Um, quest, uh, Peter says, remember, meaning recalled what you already heard, but from where and when, question mark. So Peter said, remember, a thousand years is as of a day, 2 Peter 3.8, could you, uh, could it be referring to Hosea 6 2? All right, let me go ahead and do this. Let me go ahead and get you out of here so I don't make you guys dizzy by finding, um, by finding, let me go ahead and get Andre out of here. And I will bring in Psych Man's question again. And then I will go to Hosea 3, uh, yeah, Hosea 3, 6 2. And I will see if, we can take a look at this and see if this is uh, what Peter was referring to. So the passage that, that Psychman's talking about in Peter, um, Peter says, in the last days, scoffers are going to arise. It's one of the signs of the last days. There's going to be scoffers and they're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? Um, all things remain as they were from the very beginning. It's interesting. I got a, uh, a, a, a comment on Facebook excuse me, on YouTube here recently, where someone was scoffing the second coming of Christ. And I didn't say it, but I wanted to type in, this is yet another sign that we are living in the last days. And then he says, don't you know that to God a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. So it, it's not a long time for God was the point that he was making. 
and that God desires all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. So God has waited as long as he's waited so that all would be saved and all would know the knowledge of the truth. A lot of people take these two days to mean that 2,000 years after Christ, then Jesus is going to return. That Peter had some kind of insight and was making that, that thought. So with that said, let's take a look at what Psychman 45 tells us. And um, that is in, let's go ahead and read verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and bring these scriptures in on the screen for you guys. And we'll erase Psychman's picture uh, uh, question there. And we'll go to verse 1. So this is Hosea 6. Uh, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has uh, for he has torn, but he will not heal us. Or, or, but he, oh, he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After these two days, he will receive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. He goes forth in establishing as the morning. All right, so let's go back to verse 2. After two days, he will receive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live. Um, so, uh, psych man, that's some good, um, good insight there, good connection with another verse. Um, I don't know that we can confidently say that he's referring to this passage. M- maybe, maybe he is, and maybe there's something that they have, and maybe they're right that the Lord is going to return um, within 2,000 years from the resurrection of Jesus. Remember, we're coming up on that day. So, 2032-ish? Is, is around when Jesus was crucified, was crucified 2,000 years ago. So you subtract seven years from that and you get to 2025, you're going to see a lot of people coming up with dates for Jesus returning really soon. And they're going to use this passage. And I've heard some people that I trust use it. I don't know that I've seen it established enough for me that I'm able to go, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the way it is. To me, it's in the realm of possibility, but I would have a hard time teaching it as being the exact passage. And yeah, he may be writing this here, um, the days of Hosea. Um, After two days, he will receive us. And on the third day, he will rise us up in his sight. Mm, Yeah. Um, I don't know, because it doesn't say anything about a thousand years. Maybe we want to go back and look at when Hosea was written if it might not say something else in here about a point to which you can go off of. Uh, so I'm not quite sure, Psych Man. I, I think it's interesting, um, well thought out, um, and maybe these two days are 2,000 years. Um, I guess at some point, <coughs> I was going to say who knows, but of course God knows. And at some point, uh, we will be able to find that out. All right, so I appreciate um, you guys. And your questions, if you're new here, we want to welcome you. If you're joining us on YouTube or on Facebook, consider sharing, liking, subscribing, ringing the bell so that when we come on, you know that our Q&As are on. Also, um, we want to be able to share with as many people as we possibly can for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'd love to see people touched and challenged and encouraged. And um, so consider subscribing. Uh, And I'm going to bring in a question here from uh, a new, looks like a new um, participant in our Q&As on this TruthQuest podcast. So um, 19 mixed fruits, 19 mixed fruits, sounds delicious, Um, says, question, if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, why and how will he remove his Holy Spirit from the world when Jesus promised that when he left, he would get something, we would get something better. All right, thank you. 19 mixed fruits, I appreciate that. So he's referring to Jesus telling his disciples in John chapter 14, I'm leaving. But if I go away, I will send you another helper. The word for another there, there's a couple words for another in the Greek. This word for another is exactly like, I'm gonna send you another helper exactly like me. And um, thus he spoke of the Holy Spirit. You can go back to John 14, you can read it in context. He was talking about the Holy Spirit being given um, to the church. So the question that Mixed Fruit has is if the, I think he's talking about if the restrainer is the Holy Spirit within the church being taken away, 
then how would that fit with what Jesus said? Let me read it again. If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, why and how will he remove the Holy Spirit from the world when Jesus promised that he had left? Um, would we get something better? I don't know that we could get something better than the, than the Holy Spirit. I don't think we could. The Holy Spirit's amazing. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit will remain, just not in the church. So the restraining act of the Holy Spirit is within the church. We are the salt, we are the light, but the Holy Spirit is gonna to continue to do his work and moving in people's hearts and bringing them to the Lord. But as far as the world goes, it's unrestrained. We are no longer here restraining by the Holy Spirit working inside of us. And so the world's gonna go berserk. The Antichrist is gonna be given authority over all the saints, which is the nation of Israel and tribulation saints that didn't make the rapture of the church. Um, and uh, it's gonna be really difficult and tough times. So I think the Holy Spirit's going to remain. It's just in the church that it's gonna be taken out. So we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. When the church is taken out of the way, he who restrains is taken out of the way, then the Antichrist is revealed. And um, no, I don't think that we're gonna get anything better. And I don't think this affects Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever because there are different works that he's doing and the different works that he's doing doesn't change him. He remains the same. So if the Holy Spirit is doing a work in us to restrain, but that's taken away, now the work of the Holy Spirit is just in getting pe people saved, specifically getting all of Israel being saved. Jeremiah 37 and um, Romans chapter 11 during the tribulation period and, and, and people coming to Christ because you can't be saved without, you can't say that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. So it would have to be, it would allow him to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, Psychman, new, um, new participant in our Q&A. I appreciate you. We have a question from Matt. Matt obviously comes to us from Facebook because YouTube limits the comments. And this comment is ginormous. Matt Grossman, good to see you. Question, in Jeremiah 22:30, God curses the line of Jehoachin. And Jehoan, or Cahoan, <laughs> butchering those names, Shedelai um, is an ancestor of both Mary and Joseph. How in Hebrews 1.12, the genealogy of Joseph, Shedelai is listed as the son of Jeconiah in the cursed lines, and in Luke 3.27, in Mary's genealogy, Shedelai is listed as the son of Nior, uh, the non-cursed line. What does Shedelaitl uh, have two listed fathers, and if Jehoah uh, Jehoah uh, Jacobin is the rightful father in Matthew. How does God's curse hold up in regards to Jehoah um, Jehoah in or Jehoah in? Thank you for your question. I appreciate it. There's a lot of names there um, written out, um, and I, it, I I'm, so I'm answering things off the top of my head. I would love to be able to prepare uh, an answer for this. And um, maybe, Matt, I'll use it in the beginning of one of our Q&As uh, to be able to have it prepared because I need to go back and look at the lineages and be able to, to see how they're lined out. I do know that Mary's lineage goes around the curse and Matthew's goes through it. Matthew's is, is Joseph's lineage and Luke is Mary's lineage. At least that's what theologians tell us. And so... I do believe there is a way to go around there. Um, why do they have different, why does the same guy have different fathers? Maybe, maybe I don't know, may, you know, maybe it's not the same exact guy, I don't know. Um, we need to go back and kind of take a look at it again. Uh, I do know that I've spent a lot of time on this and presented it in a lot of different messages and that I'm pretty confident that the lineage goes around it. So let me go ahead and spend some time looking into this and then answering it as the first question in one of our up and coming Q and A's. I just don't wanna say something that is wrong uh, and then later on have to come back and correct it. All right, so I don't remember exactly how all of that works um, with, these, um, with the names that are here, um, but I will go ahead and pick that up, Matthew, all right? So I appreciate you, have a good day. Thank you for your question. Um, so we have another question here from Alex. Alex says, uh, hello, pastor. 
are all types of intercourse okay between a wife and a husband? Are, are some types still sin? Well, hello, Alex. How are you? Um, so I welcome hard and difficult questions, and this is certainly a hard and a difficult question. I probably need to give a little bit of a warning here. Um, I'm going to try not to get too graphic as we talk about these things, but if you have little ears that are listening, it would be probably better to go ahead and turn this off and refer back to it later on if you're interested um, because we're going to be talking about some things that are adult. You know, husband and a wife and their sexual relationship. So, um, are there anything, is there anything that is out of bounds for a husband or a wife? I think the best place to start, Alex, here is that the husband and the wife need to be honoring towards one another, need to be loving, need to be accepting, um, and can't feel uncomfortable or demeaned by an act. And I think that couples are going to vary in this on what they feel comfortable with. Uh, I think uh, the Song of Solomon talks about being attracted sexually um, and talks about some sexual acts that are in it. And I taught, taught the Song of Solomon. Uh, the last time I taught it, I taught it all in one day. I just taught the whole thing in one day because I thought, if I'm going to be embarrassed, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Um, so if we're talking about, um, like I said, warning to kids, okay? If we're talking about positions, if we're talking about oral sex, uh, I think that all of these can be permissible as long as the people involved in it feel comfortable. That's, that's what I really believe. I don't think there is nothing within the Bible that would say that that would not be acceptable. And I think that in the Song of Solomon, there are some passages that look like that, that these things are, again, again, permissible. Um, and um, when we, uh, yeah, um, I'm just trying to think about the, the best way to say this. Um, I, I, I think I'm just going to leave it at that, Alex, um, right now. I will give you something a little bit uh, to go and look up that may be helpful. Um, Alan Parr is on YouTube and he does a, um, he does some shorter videos, kind of like what we do with Hot Topics called The Beat. And he's got a section in there about, um, about, well, just di different kinds of sexual activity. I want to be careful what I say, uh, here now. Um, so if you just look up Alan Parr, and look up what is permissible permissible with sex. Um, I think that will come up. He does a lot of stuff with marriage, and it's really good. And I think that he can answer maybe a, a, the rest of the question that I'm kind of hesitating to answer right now uh, live on the internet because I'm not sure who my audience is. All right. So when you make a video, you could kind of I don't even know that you can be completely sure who your audience is. But hopefully that answer will be good enough. Um, I do really believe again it's got to be loving. It's got to be supporting. One person can't feel uncomfortable with it and not want to do it. And then I think that there, that things are permissible and God gave it to us to enjoy, um, to be able to, um, to be able to, to, you know, um, sex is not just for procreation as some within the church history have tried to say, because we know that the Bible says, if you burn, if you pray, if you want to separate for a while and pray a prayer, then don't do it for too long because it could cause someone to burn their passions to burn uh, and instead of, you know, enjoying one another and being able to interact with each other sexually. So sorry about my stumbling answer and for feeling a little bit uncomfortable, although I think that's all right. I do appreciate your question, Alex, and um, hopefully that answer is sufficient. Um, go ahead and look up Alan Parr's The Beat. Um, he's got something on there um, about what is appropriate sexually, and he goes into some details on some other stuff that he just handles much better than I do without the embarrassment. All right. So um, Lisa G, I think another new listener to our Q&A. Good to see you, Lisa. Uh, Lisa has a question. 
I'm hoping you can share your thoughts on Romans 13, 1 through 5. Any advice on how Christians can reconcile personal convictions with the odds when at odds with government leadership decision? Thanks, God bless. All right, so let's go ahead and read Romans 13, 5. Um, this is the passage where Paul talks to us about making sure that we obey those that are in authority over us. And I want to read it so that we can uh, get, make sure we understand what it says. And then we'll talk about how that might apply today. I want to start in verse one. She, she put in there one through five. Let every soul be subject to the government authorities for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists the ordained or the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rules are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, he goes on to say, um, for he does not bear the sword in vain. All right, so um, did we get through five? I guess we didn't. Um, for he is God's messenger to avenge and execute wrath on him who practices evil. So those in authority have that responsibility. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of the wrath, but because but for conscience sake. So for your own conscience sake. So let me go ahead and get back to our regular page here. And let's go ahead and, and think about this. So yeah, so we need to be subject to the law when they don't tell us to be a bad Christian. So as long as I can obey the law and not be a bad Christian, then I want to do it. But if all of a sudden I'm a bad Christian because I'm obeying the law, in other words, I'm going to get something that is in the word of God, then I don't have to obey what's there. I'm going to obey God rather than man. In Acts chapter four, when they were told that they couldn't pre uh, shouldn't preach in the name of Jesus anymore, they said, should we obey man or God? And that's the question. Should we obey man or God? Now, let's talk about our system. Our system has laws. Those laws come to us most often and should come through some kind of legislator. So a law for the United States should come through the Congress. And because Congress is the house that makes laws. Um, and then on the state level, there's different legislatures that make laws to make them laws. And sometimes a law is, is done in the United States that's not constitutional and it's challenged. So we want to be obedient to the laws. And when laws have been given, we don't want to be law breakers. We want to follow the laws. But if it's against God, then we don't, then we want to do what God told us to do, not what man told us to do. But we do also have the venue of the appeals court that if a law is unconstitutional, we can appeal it to be able to see if we can get that law changed or if it's all right, if we don't, you know, correspond to that. And this happens all of the time. And so in the environment that we are today, and I assume this question is being asked because of the environment that we're in today, where it's questionable whether these laws that are being made to to um, take the vaccine, to mandate that people take the vaccine. There are a lot of people who don't want to take the vaccine. Not only, it, it, but there are a lot of people everywhere. It, the, the, the majority of people not taking the vaccine are not conservatives. When you talk about this vaccine, remember that when Trump was still in power, both Biden and Harris said they wouldn't take the vaccine. They wouldn't take Trump's vaccine. These are the very vaccines that they're pushing now. So this thing has been political, politicized. And I think that's one of the problems. And the sure way to get people to not want to take it is to make them take it and to pass, you know, some kind of a command under an emergency law that doesn't go through the normal channels for making laws. And so I understand why people are hesitant uh, to take it. A lot of minorities haven't taken it. The largest group of people in the United States that haven't taken, taken the vaccine is minorities. And that's not talked about a lot. And so a lot of these mandates are hurting minorities, which I, which, which shouldn't be. I mean, for, for my thinking, this is my thinking. The vaccine is supposed to be effective for making sure that you don't get COVID badly. There are breakthrough cases. 
And by the way, I've been vaccinated, just full disclosure, all right? So I've been vaccinated and it's supposed to keep me from getting a really severe case of, um, of, of COVID, but I can still get it. So why then would it bother me so much that other people aren't getting vaccinated? That if somebody says, I don't feel like they have the right to tell me to get vaccinated. Now in the past, there have been mandates from the government to vaccinate. And these, these laws that are in courts right now may indeed hold it up. It may become the law of the United States that these you know, vaccinations have to happen. And I would say that at that point, we should be obedient to that. Um, I realize um, there are religious exemptions to a lot of these. So if you feel that you have a religious exemption to it, then, then great, fill out the religious exemption stuff and go ahead and go that route. Um, but um, I do feel like there's a lot of overstepping going on today and um, it's probably gonna continue. We're living in a world where, the, where, where they're loving to be able to tell us what to do now. Things are changing radically. I think we're heading towards the one world government of the last days really quick and that things are accelerating. So I don't know for sure that's what you were thinking about, but we do wanna be obedient to the government. Um, and in our, in our government, when a law is made that is, we question the constitutionality of it, we can challenge it. And that's following along with it. We don't have to just go, well, I'm gonna obey it. We can say, I wanna challenge this. I don't know if this is constitutional because we live under the constitution. That's the rights that we have living under this nation. But if it comes down as law, yes, we should obey it unless it makes us not be able to obey what God has to say. All right. So thank you, Lisa, and welcome. It's good to have you joining us. I really appreciate you, and I hope you have a great day. So um, we have a question from Jari. Jari, good to see you. Jari says, question, is it possible to marry the wrong person? Does having enough money matter? Dave Ramsey's financial peace class um, thank you. Does it matter how much they speak in tongues, fast, etc.? All right, let me try to read this again because I lost your question in the middle of it. Um, is it possible to marry the wrong person? Okay, let's leave that one just kind of there. Does having enough money matter? And I guess Dave Ramsey says, you ought to have enough money to be able to get married. Um, does uh, it matter how much they speak in tongues, etc. All right, so thanks, Jari. Let me just go ahead and try to answer this to you. Um, yeah, it's possible to marry the wrong person. The The Lord said, um, uh, Paul said that we are not to be, I'm trying to think of who said it, Jesus or the Lord, that we aren't Paul, I guess, that we're not to be unequally yoked. Uh, we want to make sure that we marry someone that is in step with us. So to be unequally yoked, you had a yoke that you put onto an animal and you tried to plow with it. If you're unequally yoked, you couldn't plow straight lines. And so being equally yoked is really important. And when a non-Christian marries a Christian, you find out eventually that there are really problems that happen in the future. So that's the wrong person. Um, whether or not it's a, you know, do I have one person out there I've got to marry and is it possible that I could have married the wrong person and what do I do now? Uh, I don't know about that. That's something different. But if you are married to a non-believer, the Bible deals with that as well. It says that you should stay and try to win them over with a quietness of heart uh, or with a quietness to be able to win them to the Lord. And if they're willing to stay, then stay. And if they go, you're free. Talking about non-believers, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and 1 Peter. There's a couple of passages I'm putting together there. Um, having enough money in marriage when you're getting ready to get married. Um, well, I mean... Uh, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how much things have changed here now. Um, a lot of people got married poor and are really happy, poor. So I don't know if I would say not having enough money. I think you should be diligent. And if you're going to, as a, you know, as a man that's going to take the role of leading a family, then you should make sure that you're able to provide for that family. And I, I think that that's good. Um, that's speaking of the United States, right? Because there are places where there's a lot of poverty and people are getting married. They're living in third world countries. People are getting married, having kids in third world countries. Um, so does it matter how much they speak in tongues? No. Fast? Um, I mean, no. All right. Those, those are things 
that a Christian makes decisions on themselves and does not relate on marriage. All right, Jari, thank you very much for your question. So yes, it is possible to marry the wrong person. Uh, what do you do if you're married to someone you think they're the wrong person? You stay faithful in that marriage, you seek God, and if the non-believer will stay, then you stay with them and continue to search for God. Um, your personal happiness comes, first of all, I don't know how much our personal happiness comes into it. There are certain things that are right and wrong and certain things that we're supposed to do and, and not do, and not seeking a divorce is one of them. And so we stay in a marriage, even though it might not be the best. I'm not talking about abuse, that's a whole different issue. All right, and I'll answer those questions if you have them about abuse and what kind of abuse might constitute leaving. Um, but for this particular case, yes, you can marry the wrong person. It's funny, I was talking to a guy this last week who broke up with a gal he was dating uh, because she wasn't a Christian and he was just in the middle of it, right? I mean, you break up with anyone, it's hard. You've got a relationship, you're attached to them. And um, I told him that a lot of times I find that uh, guys will say, I can't find any good Christian girls in the church. And girls will say, I can't find any good Christian guys in the church. That's because you're all out there dating non-believers instead of just trusting God and waiting for those who are believers uh, to be able to, to date, all right? And I'm not saying that that'll solve all your problems. I'm just simply saying we can marry the wrong person. All right, thank you very much, Jari. I appreciate it. Hope that you have a good day. It's good to see you guys. Um, so um, 19 uh, mixed fruits. We're, we're just taking one question right now per person. I see your second question here. I'll come back and get it if I get to the end of this and there's not enough questions to be able to fill uh, the hour. Um, but also I will get this log of questions and be able to look at them later on to use in a first question in a future Q and A. All right. So thank you though for your question. We have a question from Debbie. Debbie says, uh, I saw an article how keeping, I saw an article about keeping pastors inspired. Do Calvary pastors use each other for this or how does it occur? We love you all. Reach Radio is amazing. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, Reach Radio, 106.7 Tucson, Arizona. Um, you can download the app for Reach Radio uh, by downloading uh, Reach Radio FM. You, or you can look for Robert Furrow and you'll find that podcast as well, as well as TruthQuest podcast, which has all of our teachings, all of our hot topics, and all of our Q&As on there. And um, you can, great music on Reach Radio and good, solid teaching. Uh, we have... Um, we have uh, I, Jack Graham, David Jeremiah, um, uh, Jack Hibbs, um, just so uh, Tony Evans, uh, Skip Heitzig, so many good solid teachers that are on there. So let's go back to your question. Um, how do um, I saw an article on keeping pastors inspired? So I'd love to see that article, Debbie. By the way, um, I don't know if you want to fire it off to me, um, but you could. You could send uh, the article if you can find it um, to uh, yeah to me. Uh, do uh, Calvary pastors use each other for this, and how does it occur? So, um, well, there there are there are different conferences that Calvary pastors can go to, and I've, I've been doing this now as a Calvary Chapel pastor for 36 years. This October, the end of this month, will be 36 years that I've been pastor of Calvary Chapel of Tucson, and um, I can tell you over the years that when I go to conferences, especially when I was a younger pastor, that's where I got a lot of inspiration and kind of got God kicking me in the pants and getting me back right on the right line for what I was doing. Um, I find that inspiration for what I do comes out of that right relationship with God and just the desire for teaching God's word in its entirety and making sure that I'm hitting things that people are interested in. And um, so uh, there, there are pastors conferences, there are networks that pastors are in, there are friendships that we develop with other pastors, which do help us on, um, on keeping, keeping us inspired. Um, but I think the Holy Spirit will do that if you're really serious and you really wanna follow God wholeheartedly um, and preach good messages. I think that there's a heart to do that. And I can say that I, I really want to do that. I really want the message to be good. I want people to be touched and drawn in. 
I want to deal with things that are real life matters that they're dealing with. And um, uh, I, I don't find it really hard to stay um, inspired. I'm not saying that I am highly inspired every day. Some, some days I feel a little, you know, down and I feel like, like I just don't know what to teach on. I'm looking at a passage and I'm looking at it early, right? I, I usually try to look at a passage a couple weeks before I teach it. And I'm thinking, what am I going to talk about there? And, and, and I can feel down. But by the time I get to putting the finishing touches on things, I find myself really excited about what God's going to share. And um, I think that God does that with his people as well. I'm not saying that pastors can't lose inspiration and need it in certain ways. But um, I hope that answers your question for what Calvary pastors do. Yeah, a lot of good Calvary pastors out there. Sometimes just listening to them will encourage me when I take time while I'm driving to put on a study from another Calvary pastor. And um, a, lot of, a lot of good guys, a lot of good teachers in the Calvary Chapel movement. So thank you very much, Debbie. I really appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. Uh, we have another question here. Looks like uh, it's Ruben, and he comes to us from Facebook. And I can tell because it's a huge question. So I'm gonna try to bring this thing in here and see if I can, wow, hey Ruben, how are you? All right, so Ruben has a question. I'm just gonna try to bring this down to be able to do this. I know someone that believes that there's a three and a half year gap at least between the rapture and the tribulation. His reasoning comes from Ezekiel 39.9, where the Bible says that after the Ezekiel 38 war, Israel will be burning weapons for seven years. If I've understood the reasoning correctly, the seven-year weapon burning must be completed. And if the believing Jews are fleeing Israel at tribulation midpoint, then the weapon burning period um, would have to have been completed in order to fulfill uh, this prophecy. Apparently, it's hard to burn weapons when they are on the run. That seems biblically sound, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Thank you very much, Ruben. I appreciate that. I'm just going to put this down because it's huge um, and go ahead and cover this. So, yeah, I, I, I think they're thinking it's sound to some degree, um, but I don't know that there would have to be a gap. In other words, we might see the Gog and Magog war and not have the rapture until the Gog and Magog war has been done for a while. We see Israel as a nation again. It's not like Israel became a nation and then the rapture happened. We see Jerusalem is not being trampled underfoot by the Gentiles anymore. At least it's rapidly moving that way. Only the Temple Mount is not being trampled underfoot. And Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So maybe the rapture won't happen until after the Gog and Magog war. Maybe the rapture, maybe the Gog and Magog war does happen um, right around the time of the rapture or the war happens immediately when the rapture happens and they are burning weapons for seven years and you can't stop it. That their, you know, nuclear warheads or whatever kind of weapons it is that they have abandoned in Israel or trying to be destroyed by Israel, but it takes that long to do it. And once the process gets going, it doesn't stop in the middle of the three and a half year period. So I think there's some other ideas as to how that could all play out. Remember, prophecy is, is 2020 hindsight in prophecy is powerful. You can look back and see, wow, that Bible said this and this prophecy was fulfilled. Trying to figure it out, how it's all going to unfold in the future is much more difficult, Reuben. And um, so uh, could it be that there is a gap between the, between the rapture and the tribulation period? I don't know. I, I'm thinking specifically of 2 Thessalonians where it talks about the great falling away, right? and then the Antichrist being revealed. Those are the great, the great departure coming first. That might be the rapture of the church and then the Antichrist being revealed. A little bit later on, the restrainer is taken out of the way and then the Antichrist is revealed. And Paul telling the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians chapter two, who, who thought they were in the tribulation period, just go read it. Somebody told me, I can't believe you think they thought they were in the tribulation period. Read it. Read it verse one and read down into it and you'll see they thought they were in the tribulation period. They had been given a letter that shook them or a word somebody told them Paul said this and they were shaken by it. 
And uh, that day will not come unless there's a departure first and the man of sin is revealed. The man of sin doesn't have to come first, but the departure has to. And it seems like those things happen pretty quick, especially the restrainer, and then the man of sin being revealed. So I'm not saying it has to be completely wrong. I'm just saying there are some other ideas on how that may come to play. Um, but I do, I do like the thinking. I do like the way they're approaching the Word of God and trying to compare Scripture to Scripture. I think that's the proper way to do it, and it's all good stuff. Thanks, Reuben. I appreciate that. Um, let's see. Uh, so, so um, Reuben, we are we're just taking one question per person. Um, we had to do this a while back. Uh, oh, by the way, we're glad to have you here. This is the first time that you've asked a question. It's good to have you here with us. Um, but we're only taking one question per person. And then we're going to, you know, if I get to the end of this, and what time is it? It uh, doesn't look like I'm going to be able to go back and um, and get any other questions. It's uh, We have 14 minutes left in our Q&A. If I do, I'll be able to come back and get it. But I also like having questions that I can come back and revisit that I can use as a first question in the Q&A. Uh, so while you guys are, are getting on and writing out your questions, I'm able to cover something. So Ruben, I'll take a look at that as one of the first questions um, that are here. See a lot. I see a lot of new people that are here with our Q&A. I think this is our 44th Q&A, by the way. So it seems like we just started it, but we are cooking along in them. All right. So um, I see a question from James, which seems like a new listener, but it looks like the question got cut off. So I'm going to go ahead and um, move down here. Let me look at this. Let's see if I can put both of yours together, James. I see two of them. Um, I've been trying to restore my faith. And then you say, in the Holy Spirit and looking for some steps. Um, I might be able to, I might be able to place that together. And I wonder if I can bring two in here at the same time. Let's see. Nope. Well, maybe I can. Let me just see. Yep, I can. Look at that. All right. So, um, looks like James has written out a couple of different, que um, a question with a couple of different thoughts here. I've been trying to restore my faith in the Holy Spirit and looking for some steps. So, um, all right. Well, good. Let me go ahead and just move this down here. All right. So, all right, James, uh, really glad you're restoring your faith. I don't know what that means. I don't know if you've been away for a long time. I don't know if God came after you. He said to leave the 99 and go after the one, but I'm very excited for you as you start to restore it. I had that own experience myself. I met the Lord at 13, for five years served God, diligently learned the word of God, grew, and then I had a couple of, of things happen. My pastor had an affair with the secretary. Some other things happened with some other people I knew, and I left the church. I basically said, if this is what Christianity is, then I don't want it, and I left. And God came after me, and he restored me. And so I know what it's like to be away and then have to be restored. And I could tell you in coming back, that I had to kind of get the first things that I had. I had to return to that first love, um, like the letter to Ephesus in uh, the book of Revelation. And I started to study God's word again regularly, daily even. I started to um, find a church to be involved in, friends that love the Lord, um, in a fellowship, koinonia, which was really, really important. Can't do it out there on your own. Finding a church that you can go to, that you trust, that you can receive and learn from is really, really important, James. So I would, I would say that's the, the place to start. Find a church, find people in that church that you have fellowship with. So in other words, you can go and sit in the seat and walk away. You might be able to hang out for a little while, but if it's a larger church, then you're gonna have to get involved in a smaller level. Men's studies, women's studies, home fellowships, ministries, all of these are great ways to get koinonia. That's really, really important. And some people have koinonia outside of church. They know a lot of Christian people. Maybe they work with Christian people, have regular fellowship. That's fantastic. Um, but church is for fellowship and um, officially holding services to seek God in. So James, I hope that will help pour into God's word really love it, find people around you that you can, that know you, that you have fellowship with. I think that these things are all going to help. Um, I think about those things that help me in my faith, and it really is really and truly knowing and understanding people that love the Lord uh, um, and having that relationship uh, with them. All right.
So thank you very much, James. I appreciate it. I was glad I was able to kind of piece those two together. Um, all right. So um, thank you, um, Diana. I appreciate your statement there. That's awesome. And um, I'm just going to go down here and look. We have a question from Renee. And so Renee asks a common question. What is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Um, or let me read what you said. What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Because someone said it was when they were calling that Jesus was casting out uh, demons by a demon. So that is true, Renee. Um, there's a couple of places in the Bible that we find Jesus talking about the, uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They're not always around that event. Sometimes they're a little bit later on. So it seems that Jesus brought it up in a couple of different occasions in a couple of different settings. But the one setting that we know, Jesus is casting on a demon, the scribes and Pharisees see it, they're struck by it, they don't know what to do. Um, I pointed out before that demons were never, you never find a demon being cast out in the Old Testament. You just never find it. Then all of a sudden Jesus is casting out demons with a word. And these are scribes and Pharisees, these are religious leaders that know the word of God really, really well. They, they understand it really well. And they should be receiving Jesus as their Messiah, but they don't want to because he's not one of them and they don't like him. He is the Messiah, but they don't want to follow after him. They don't want to trust him. They don't want to believe in him. And so they reject him and they claim that he has cast out demons by Beelzebub, the, um, by the, the, the prince of demons. And Jesus says, every sin spoken against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. He doesn't say every sin spoken against the Holy Spirit will be forgiven. Some people feel like if I just, I, in my mind, I thought something against the Holy Spirit, therefore I committed the, the unpardonable sin. Let me just take that away from you. That's not what the unforgivable sin is. It's the constant rejection of God's word when you have enough information to be able to make a good decision. And I think it can only be by someone that knows a lot. I think that Hebrews 6.4 is talking about the same thing, 6.4 through whatever it is, 6, where it says, once enlightened and taste of spiritual gifts and gives all of those things, and then it says they fall away, it's impossible to renew them to repentance. It's not impossible to renew them, it's impossible for them to repent, to come to that place where they repent and surrender their lives wholeheartedly to Christ. And so there's a few qualifiers. It's got to be someone who knows a lot. It's got to be someone that has all the information that they need to receive Jesus as their savior. Um, and they keep rejecting and keep rejecting and maybe come up with really silly, stupid things like he's casting out demons by demons. All right, Renee, hopefully that's helpful. Um, if you have more of a question about that, Renee, you can ask later on if I haven't covered the area within the unpardonable sin that you really want to look at. But um, I appreciate you and I appreciate your question. Hope that you have a great day. So I'm just looking for more questions here. Um, it's good to see you guys. If you're joining us for the very first time, then uh, go ahead and write out question and then add, um, add question to it, but reread it a couple times, make sure it makes sense. All right, so we have a question from Andy and Tanya. Questions, if we were baptized as infants, do we need to be baptized again as adults? Thank you, Andy and Tanya, I appreciate your question. That's me. I was baptized into the Methodist church as a baby. And when I got saved, I was still attending the Methodist church. And so we went to our pastor. And he goes, Pastor Tom, I think. And we asked him if we could be baptized. And he said, you don't need to be. You're baptized as a baby, that's good enough. That's what the Methodist church teaches. And we said, we kind of showed him some scriptures where it says that they believed and were baptized, that the process of it, and to his credit, he said, all right, I'll do it. And he went and called a friend of his who was at a Baptist church. We went over to the Baptist church, met Tom, met Pastor Tom there, and he baptized us, which is awesome that, that he did that. He saw the importance that we had. So I always say, baptize him as an infant didn't hurt, didn't hurt you. If you're baptized as an infant, it didn't hurt you. It just didn't do what baptism was supposed to do. Because baptism is you being taken under that water. It's a burial of the old man or the old woman and then rising up out of the water in the newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit to live in the life that God has given you. 
God wants us to do that. In the Bible, it was a political, I mean, a political, is it a political statement, okay? In the Bible, it was a public statement that they had made a commitment to Christ. And um, I think that it's really, really good um, when, when, when that happens, all right? So, um, yes, you need to be baptized again uh, and after you believe. So you believe and then you're baptized. So yes, be baptized after you believe. Um, I don't know where you're at, Andy and Tanya, but you can call whatever church you go to to see how they set up baptisms. We do ours by appointment. So um, we do it at each campus every other month. We have two campuses. Um, so you can call the church office um, or you can talk to one of the pastors up in the front. They'll be able to tell you when it is and get you signed up for it. All right, so thank you very much. Andy and Tanya, for your question, I appreciate that. It's like, man, I see another question from you here. Um, we're taking one, and um, I'll be looking back at this log and uh, taking notes for questions that are in the future. If you have a question, we have one here from Dan Riviera. So we're going to bring that in. This may be our last question for today. We have four minutes. We'll see. Um, so, Dan, good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Um, with things that are going on in life, how can we not lose our focus on the Lord? I have lost a little focus in the past couple of weeks, and I want to be able to keep my focus on God. Is this a test of my faith? Maybe, Dan. Yeah, maybe. Um, with all that's going on, we can get distracted. We can find ourselves no longer as passionate about God as we should be. And we need to return, remember, and repent. We need to do those things to make sure that we have that love that is a strong love for the Lord. Um, I would, once again, make sure you're in fellowship. Koinonia, that's really important. Make sure that you are not forsaking the gathering of yourselves together. You're going to church. Um, make sure that you're reading your Bible. Make sure that you're doing things like this, where we're talking about God and we're talking about the Christian life, what it means to be a Christian and standing up for him and living wholeheartedly for him. So what you're doing right now, Dan, is going to help you. And um, I'll be encouraging, I'll be praying for you, and I encourage you just to make sure that you get your eyes on Jesus, because there's nothing else that's important as our walk with Christ, uh, as, as we live in this world for him. People's faith and walk depend, people and their relationship with God depend on us living our lives in such a way that people see us because the gospel has been given to us. So I appreciate that, Dan. Hopefully that is helpful. I um, just want to encourage you in that. I think it's a good thing. So we have another question here from Annika. Annika, it's good to see you. Question, how much, if at all, do you think the state should be involved in the church and vice versa? All right, Annika, um, let me see what time it is here. It's 3.57. I have this one already as a first question in a future Q&A. So if you don't mind, I would like to hold off on that and I can talk about that later. So I, I, I've got the thumbnail made already um, and I will look at it to see if it's a Wednesday q and I'll, I'll put it up this next Wednesday that I've got it as, all right? So if you can hold on just a little bit, Annika, I appreciate that. I know that you join us regularly for our Q&As and we do appreciate it. All right, um, and so uh, it's good to see you guys here. I'm gonna just go ahead and, and look and see if there's any other questions. Remember to put a question or a question mark there in front of it and we will take time to be able to pull it in and take a look at it. All right, so I appreciate you guys. Um, that will be the last question that we have. Uh, we have a service in two hours. So you can watch it on YouTube, you can watch it on Facebook. Or you can join us live at our East Campus at 6 o'clock, 7.15 at our West Campus. And um, we are going to be looking at Jesus casting out a demon that was a demon of infirmity. So we're going to talk about whether or not Satan can make you sick. Um, what was Paul's infirmity? Why he preached to the Galatians with an infirmity? What was his thorn in the flesh? Should we cast out demons when someone is sick? Can the devil make you sick? Uh, we're also gonna talk about the Sabbath day because this all happens on the Sabbath day. And there's a guy, a religious guy. We're gonna talk about how we wanna avoid being super religious. And we're gonna talk about whether or not we should keep the Sabbath day. So that's all in our service tonight. I look forward to seeing you guys there. It's Luke 13, by the way, I think 10 through 18, 10 through 17, verses 10 through 17 in Luke chapter 10, as we go line by line, verse by verse, 
uh, through the Bible. All right, so it's good to see you guys. I'm really glad you joined us. I hope I didn't miss anybody's questions. Sometimes I do that. If I did, I'll go back and look here and see if we can make sure to have it on a future Q&A. God bless you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Um, make sure that you are standing up for him in the middle of this world. Redeem the time. Uh, do things that are edifying for your walk with Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you guys. We'll see you later on. I'm going to go ahead and sign out now. Um, it's been so good to spend this time with you and to see you guys interacting together with one another. God bless you.